Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. On today's episode, we head back into the X-Wing series, some of the most popular books in all of Legends. It's Wraith Squadron by Aaron Alston. It's the first story in a four-book arc. The first three books are X-Wing stories, with the last story coming in The Courtship of Princess Leia. Not really, but it's very loosely the last book of the arc. But man, what a ride. The race against Warlord Zinj and his piece of the Imperial Remnant. It's very exciting. But you know what else is exciting? Listener questions. And we have two today. The first email comes from Caleb. Caleb says, I understand that in general, Legends refers to media produced before the Disney acquisition. But can and do people still contribute stories to the Legends collection of books, or is that completely frozen for all time? Thank you very much for the email, Caleb. You are correct. Legends refers to everything produced prior to the Disney acquisition, except the films, Episodes 1-6, through and the Clone Wars animated series beginning in 2008. To answer your question, Caleb, yes, they are actually producing more Legends content. It's in the online video game, Star Wars The Old Republic. They just recently announced another expansion and released a trailer, Legacy of the Sith, which you can watch on YouTube. But besides the SWOTOR online game, there are no other Legends stories. And to be honest, that makes sense. Star Wars is a little different than the storytelling in stuff like Marvel or DC Comics or similar universes. There are no multiple storylines in Star Wars. No multiverses, if that is the new term. But that's fine. While there's no new Legends stories coming out, that does not mean there aren't more that we're seeing from Legends. Lucasfilm has been re-releasing select books as part of their Essential Legends collection as part of their 50th anniversary. So far, 14 titles have been announced as part of the collection, with more presumably on the way. And look at some of these titles that have already been announced. You have the original Thrawn trilogy, Kenobi, three of the Rogue Squadron books. Now, what projects are on the schedule for Star Wars? There's the Kenobi series that starts in two months, a Rogue Squadron film has already been announced, and parts of the original Legends Thrawn trilogy are being incorporated into shows like The Bad Batch, The Mandalorian, and possibly the upcoming Ahsoka series. 
Now, let's look at some of the other books already announced in the Essential Legends collection. You have Plagueis. There are rumors that the Acolyte show that was announced will delve into the rise of the Sith a few decades before The Phantom Menace. Shatterpoint. Samuel L. Jackson has been lobbying for Mace Windu stories. And the Darth Bane trilogy. Star Wars has started to venture into the past with the High Republic. Could they possibly be going further into history in the future? Who knows? Now, these may mean nothing. And I'm not saying that anything story-wise in these books are going to be used in the future. But they do seem to be part of a marketing strategy that points to future projects. And hopefully, they use some of the things in these Legends books in those projects. Thank you very much for the email, Caleb. Today's second email comes from listener Jake. Jake says, I'm curious about the Force Unleashed novels, specifically your take on the story of Galen Merrick. I'm not sure if that is technically counted as Legends or not. However, I do know that his story is a large part of the Star Wars universe, starting as a beloved video game character, expanding to a novel, a sequel game, and a sequel novel. Do you think we will ever see Galen Merrick in canon? It was funny to see them label the base in Force Awakens Starkiller Base, especially since Galen Merrick is referred to as Starkiller. Well, thank you very much for the email, Jake. I've said before on the show, I'm not much of a video game player. I know about the Force Unleashed games, and I've seen a little bit from them, but I've never played any of them. But I have read both of the novels probably 12 to 15 years ago at this point. They're fun. In fact, I'll be covering the Force Unleashed novels on this podcast in September and October. So tune in for those. As to your question, it's always possible we could see a character named Galen Merrick in the future, but it won't be the same type of character. Darth Vader did not have a secret apprentice in canon. But... How could Galen Merrick be incorporated into Star Wars storytelling? Let's brainstorm quickly. He could be a former Jedi that becomes one of Vader's Inquisitors, hunting the Jedi who survived the Great Purge. If Lucasfilm ever decides to do something with the origins of the Sith Rule of Two, Galen Merrick could be used somewhere in that Sith line, which would allow them to use some of the characters' more powerful Force abilities. Or... They could cast Sam Witwer as a completely different character than the Starkiller character and simply give him the name Galen Merrick as sort of a little cheeky nod to the character's origins. So what I'm saying, Jake, is we'll probably never see the same Galen Merrick, but he could come into canon in a new way. So don't give up hope. Also, when it came to the naming of Starkiller Base, and to the naming of Galen Merrick's character, Starkiller. They're both an homage to Luke Skywalker's original name in George Lucas's outlines from the early 70s. The Adventures of Luke Starkiller, as taken from the Journal of the Wills, Saga 1, The Star Wars. You can go online and read the outline. And there's even an online comic that was produced eh, not quite 10 years ago, based on it. It's a fun read. Thank you very much for the email, Jake. And once again, Caleb, thank you for your email. 
If you want to be really cool like Jake and Caleb, you can have your question or comment read on the show. Just send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. And if you'd like to get your voice on the show, please record yourself. Give me your opinion about a legend story or anything in Star Wars. Record a three to five minute audio file and email it to the show. Just make it easy on me and record it in MP3 or MP4 format, please. Now, it's time for today's book, X-Wing Wraith Squadron by Aaron Alston. Grab yourself a drink. Let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story begins on Coruscant following the Bacta War and Rogue Squadron's defeat of Imperial Intelligence Director Isain Ishart. Wedge Antilles meets with Admiral Akbar about a new type of fighter pilot squadron. The rogues were ace pilots that had to act as commandos during the back to war. Wedge wants to create a squadron of commandos that he can then mold into top fighter pilots. And he wants the worst pilots the New Republic has to offer. The misfits, the disciplinary issues, the ones that are the closest to washing out. Akbar is skeptical of the idea, but Wedge is adamant. Give the unorthodox soldiers the chance to prove themselves, and they'll succeed. Akbar gives his provisional approval for the squadron, and Wedge gets three months to prove it'll work. If it does, Wedge can stay where he wants, as the commander of Rogue Squadron. If it doesn't, Wedge has to agree to accept promotion to general and take on more responsibility in the overall New Republic military. Wedge agrees to Akbar's terms, and he and Lieutenant Wes Jansen head off to Fallor Base to form the new squadron. 43 candidates apply for the 10 pilot spots, and Wedge and Jansen quickly call the list. When they finish, they've got a motley crew, including a demolitions expert, a Gamorrean, the lone survivor of an ambush who's now riddled with PTSD, a former child actor, a thakwash with multiple minds, and Admiral Akbar's niece. Wedge picks Kel Tainer as a possible squad leader early on, but when Kel is introduced to Wes Jansen, he immediately requests a transfer out of the squadron. It turns out Jansen shot down and killed Kel's father during the Galactic Civil War. During a battle, Kel's father became crippled with fear and fled in a Y-Wing. Jansen was sent to stop him, but Tainer refused to turn around, so Jansen was forced to shoot him down. Wedge denies Kell's request for transfer, ordering him to get over it. His demolition skills are needed in the squadron. After the squadron is formed, Han Solo arrives on Folor. Han meets with Wedge and tells him about the search for Warlord Zinj. Part of that hunt involves one of Zinj's admirals, Apwar Trigget who's been lacing the hyperspace lanes along the mid and outer rims with parasitic spy drones that latch onto New Republic ships and report back their locations. The Wraiths encounter some of those drones on their first training mission, a hyperspace exercise from Folor to the inner rim. Analyzing the drones, Jesmin Akbar discovers a transmission coming from the Imperial Star Destroyer Implacable, Admiral Trigget's ship. It's headed to attack Folor. 
Wedge orders the race to circle back to Folor to help defend the base while personnel evacuate. Wedge sends Kel and Runt Equish, the Thakwash, and General Edor Crespin sends two of his A-wings to lay in wait, relay information about the attacking force, and then ambush the Imperials. The pilots watch the first few squadrons of TIE fighters fly over, relaying their information to Wedge and General Crespin. But Trigget isn't just sending his TIEs to attack the base. He's also bringing Implacable down to Falor as well. Realizing there's nothing they can do to stop a Star Destroyer, Kel and the other three pilots come up with a plan. They broadcast fake transmissions using older Republic codes to fool Trigget into thinking that the Millennium Falcon is fleeing Folor with a Rogue Squadron escort. Intercepting the false transmissions, Trigget orders the Implacable to pursue the Falcon away from Folor base. The ruse works. With the Star Destroyer following the two X-Wings and the two A-Wings, Crespin is able to evacuate everyone from Folor base. It's the first successful engagement for the Wraiths and the Blue Squadron of A-Wings. Together, they shot down 21 Imperial fighters, compared to only two casualties amongst the A-Wings. Now after the battle, Wedge decides to continue his hyperspace exercise, jumping to the inner rim. But the Wraiths are pulled out of hyperspace in the Zobomi system by an Empion mine laid by one of Trigget's vessels. The Wraiths are blasted by an ion pulse that damages nine of their 12 X-Wings. Three of the X-Wings are left totally inoperable. Wary of the Empire returning to investigate the detonation of the MPN mine, Wedge orders the squadron to land on Zabromi 6 and has the squadron's support shuttle tow the three inoperable fighters toward an asteroid belt for repairs. The Wraiths are able to fix two of those three fighters, but Tan Fainan's is a complete loss. The former medic has an idea, though. Put someone in his disabled X-Wing, let it float near the Empion mine, and allow the Imperials to capture it. The pilot can then sneak aboard the Imperial vessel and try to capture it. At first, Wedge is against the idea, but the Wraiths start to hammer out a plan, an audacious one. They rig up a small shipping container, large enough to fit Piggy the Gamorian, to use as an insertion vehicle, and they use one of the lasers from Tan's X-Wing for Piggy to use as a weapon. The Wraiths then send out a fake distress signal to bait the trap and float Piggy's container near the damaged fighter. Now soon, the Imperial Corvette Nightcaller arrives and discovers the X-Wing. When the Nightcaller latches onto the X-Wing with its tractor beam, Piggy's container flies into the Corvette's hangar bay. The Wraith uses the X-Wing's powerful laser to blast a hole in the hangar's ceiling, which is also the flight deck floor. The blast kills half the command crew, including the captain. The remaining officers quickly surrender the Corvette to Piggy, and the Wraiths begin a new mission. Follow Admiral Trigget using the Nightcaller. They plan to follow the Corvette's mission while relaying information about Zinja's and Trigget's operations in the Outer Rim. And whenever anyone contacts the Nightcaller, Face Lauren, the former child actor, will impersonate the Corvette's captain, Zarel Darillion. Face and Grinder, the Wraith's slicer, have used hollow images of Darillion that they can overlay onto Face. As long as he doesn't make any quick movements, they're confident the fake Darillion will fool Zinge 
and Triggett. Wedge orders the functional X-Wings to dock in Nightcaller's hangar bay, and the Wraiths set off on their new mission. They follow the Nightcaller's mission plan and visit several Outer Rim planets at the edge of Zinj-controlled space. What they find is interesting. On one planet, a transparasteel manufacturing facility. On another, food exports. And on a third, a durasteel foundry. It seems like Zinj has set up a group of cells to help fund and supply material to his war effort. The Wraiths relay information about each of the cells to New Republic intelligence. Intel commandos then jump into each system after the Nightcaller leaves, destroying the cells and making it appear like the New Republic has found some way of tracking the Imperial Corvette. At their fourth destination, the Wraiths are ambushed by a group of pirates. Wedge orders fighters to launch. The repaired X-Wings are more than a match for the uglies the pirates are flying, but a ground laser scores a direct hit on Jesmond Akbar. Jesmond's fighter depressurizes, and she falls unconscious. Kel, on her wing, tries to position his X-Wing below Jesmond's, trying to stop its fall to the planet, but his maneuver is in vain. Kel has to pull out, and the race watch as Jesmond's fighter crashes into the pirate's asteroid. Soon after the battle, Zinj contacts the Nightcaller and orders the fake Captain Derillion to meet up with Admiral Triggett at the planet Essien. Zinj has found the Folor evacuees and wants them destroyed. At Essien, Triggett orders the Nightcaller to hide behind the planet's moon alongside the Implacable. Wedge orders four of the Wraiths into the TIE Fighters still in the Nightcaller's hangar bay. They're to join up with Implacable's TIEs and just before the fighters head down to the planet to attack the New Republic base, the four wraiths will fire on specific points on the Implacable, taking out the Star Destroyer's shields and, hopefully, the command bridge. When Triggett orders the attack, the four wraiths fire on the Star Destroyer. They manage to take out the shield generators, but nothing more. Wedge orders the remaining wraiths to launch their X-Wings. With the Implacable's shields down, the wraiths fire proton torpedoes, doing tremendous damage. Meanwhile, on the moon, Wedge pilots the Nightcaller like a fighter, using the Corvette's engines to blow up huge clouds of dust, hiding the ship so he can fire up at the belly of the Star Destroyer. Now realizing he's been tricked, Triggett flees in a modified TIE fighter, turning command over to Lieutenant Gera Petithel, an Imperial intelligence agent. But Petithel knows the Implacable is lost, and orders all personnel to abandon ship. She sprints to her quarters, gathers up a bag of disguises, and jumps in an escape pod. As the Implacable starts breaking apart, two of the wraiths in the TIE Fighters, Grinder and Fallen Sand Skimmer, get caught up in the destruction. Their fighters are destroyed as the wreckage of the Star Destroyer crashes into Essien's moon. With the battle over, General Crespin and one of the wraiths, Lieutenant Min Donos, the sole survivor of an ambush set up by Triggett, race after the Admiral before he can jump to light speed. Crespin shoots down Triggett's escorts while Donos blasts the Imperial Admiral, destroying his TIE fighter with a pair of proton torpedoes. The story ends with the New Republic picking up Garapetathel's escape pod. Disguised as a woman named Lara Notzel, she convinces the New Republic 
that she was being held on the implacable as Trigget's unwilling concubine. Time for a break. When we come back, I'll talk more about this book and what we can look forward to from the race in the future. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we talk about the books from Star Wars Legends. But allow me to recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Battlefront II Inferno Squad tells the story of Imperial Lieutenant Iden Versio. Tasked with finding and destroying what remains of Saul Guerrera's terrorist organization, Inferno Squad must infiltrate the Partisans before they're discovered and eliminated. It's a tale of action and espionage. That's Battlefront II Inferno Squad by Christy Golden. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today I'm talking about X-Wing Wraith Squadron by Aaron Alston. Now, in the first season of the podcast, when we went over the first four of the Rogue Squadron books, I mentioned how the X-Wing series was one of my favorite series in all of Legends. I prefer the Rogue Squadron stories to the Wraith Squadron stories, but they're both really good. If Rogue Squadron is Top Gun in space, then Wraith Squadron is the Dirty Dozen in space. The Dirty Dozen trope in films and television shows is not my favorite trope. What I like more about Rogue Squadron, and this probably has to do with the fact that I am in the military, is that it's much more likely that a military unit comprised of soldiers or pilots that perform similar duties will win an engagement over an opponent rather than a military unit that is made up of 12 individuals that each have some sort of specialty. Now, don't get me wrong, Wraith Squadron is basically special forces. Those are the military squads that you need in order to conduct clandestine operations. It should sometimes, in entertainment, it's those small groups that are sometimes shown as the ones that win the battles. When, in actuality, most of the time it's superior forces and superior technology that is what wins battles. But the Ray Squadron stories are fun. They are. I think most of the characters are fun. I am not the biggest fan of Kel Tainer. But I will say, one thing I do like about Aaron Alston's writing is he humanizes these misfits. He gives each of them characteristics that I have seen amongst other military members. Kel Tainer gets extreme anxiety, and sometimes his fight-or-flight-or-freeze instinct kicks in. Usually, fight, 
But sometimes the flight part or the freeze part kicks in. And we see that in this book. On numerous occasions, his pulse rate gets up so high. And these weird thoughts keep running through his head about how he's going to be a failure and how he's going to die. He's scared. And that happens all the time in the military. Mindonos is suffering from PTSD. He was the leader of a fighter squadron that was led into a trap laid by Admiral Triggett. The other 11 members of the squadron are all killed. And Donos doesn't know how to cope with it. One thing I do wish we would have seen in this book is Donos getting professional help by the New Republic military. To that end, you do see it a little bit in the canon Star Wars story, Alphabet Squadron. One of the fighter pilots, a former Imperial, while she is being routinely questioned and interrogated by New Republic officials, she also undergoes psychological evaluations. I think that would have been interesting to see in the Wraith Squadron stories. You don't see that with men. And that's something in the real military that would happen if you have some sort of survivor's guilt. As long as you're the one who is looking into it, as long as you're not trying to hide it, you're going to receive some psychological help for what men went through. Of course, the Wraiths have a medic. They have a former child actor in Face Lauren who can kind of talk his way out of a bunch of situations or even ingratiate himself into a bunch of situations. He's kind of like Han Solo in that vein, although not as charmingly bumbling as Han Solo is. Face really is an actor. He really is able to become another person. I'm not going to go through all of the pilots, but you have a bunch of characteristics of people that you see throughout the military. You have someone with anger control issues. You have someone who tries really hard, but just can't seem to accomplish her goals. So in that vein, the rates are extremely interesting. In some ways, the rates as characters are more realistic than the rogues. But I prefer the rogues. I prefer a military unit that is unified in what job they do and excel at doing that job. Now, we'll learn in the future, the wraiths do excel in their job. They eventually get moved from New Republic Fighter Command into New Republic Intelligence. And as an intelligence squad, the wraiths really do become a special forces unit. And I do believe that is the best real-world 
comparison for them. As for Aaron Alston's writing style, I find it extremely easy to read. I really enjoy Michael Stackpole and how he writes the rogues. Sometimes when Stackpole writes his dogfights in space, his battle scenes, they're so technical that they're a little hard to follow. I think Alston's writing is a little easier on the general public in being able to follow a dogfight or a naval battle in space. I also think Alston uses humor a little better in his writings than Stackpole does, but humor is one of those things that is a personal preference. I think Alston's humor is more the type that I like. But the best part about the Wraith Squadron books is the interaction between the Wraiths themselves and how they interact with their superiors. Mostly with Wedge, but with other superior officers as well. In this story, we have General Crespin. In future stories, you have Admiral Akbar, you have Admiral Drayson, you have General Crix Maidine. The rogues are the rogues. They're the best of the best when it comes to starfighter pilots. The wraiths are the rejects. They're the washouts. They're the goonies for anyone who remembers the movie from the 80s. They're not going to have the greatest of military discipline. One of the reasons that Wedge forms the unit is to come up with new ideas in how to battle the Imperial Remnant. The Empire is no longer this huge colossus at this point in the Legends timeline. The Empire is spread out. There are various admirals, warlords, self-proclaimed moths that rule their fiefdoms, rule their small parts of the galaxy. They all want to restore the Empire to its former glory under Palpatine. Of course, they want to be the head of it. Warlord Zinj is no different. But it's a different kind of war. The New Republic is now the central government. The Imperial Remnant are now these small sections divided across the galaxy. It's the exact opposite of the Galactic Civil War. The rebels are now like the Empire. The Empire is now like the rebels. And it takes a different thought process in fighting a war like that. The best part of the Wraiths is they think outside the box. There are four or five times in this book where it seems like Wedge is almost ready to have an aneurysm because he can't follow the ideas that the Wraiths come up with or 
the rationales that they have for those ideas. So the rates are fun. They absolutely are fun. As a real-world comparison, I prefer the rogues. Now, could we see something like the wraiths in canon? Absolutely. Anything that deals with the New Republic military could easily be brought over into canon. We've already talked about the rogues. There's going to be a rogue squadron movie. The wraiths could be brought into any movie or television show that deals with the New Republic military. I would assume they're not going to be a fighter squadron, but the wraiths could be a special operations force. They could be Republic commandos. You could see characters like Face Lauren. You could see characters like Kel Tainer or Mendonos. I'm not going to give away the names of future wraiths because like any war story, some members of the squadron are killed and have to be replaced. But you could easily see Wraith Squadron characters in any war story in canon. And they could have the exact same qualities as they do in the Legends books. When I answered the question at the beginning of the show and talked about the Essential Legends collections, they've already released the first two Rogue Squadron books and have announced that the third Rogue Squadron book is going to be released in August. To me, that means they're definitely going to release the fourth one because that is one story arc. Those first four Rogue Squadron books are one story arc. I'm going to assume that they are going to release the first three books of Wraith Squadron because when it comes to the Essential Legends collection, which, which let's face it, first and foremost is a marketing decision by Disney Lucasfilm, but also a celebration of the most popular and the most beloved books in Legends. And if you're going to do that, I know it's a wackadoodle book, you're going to release The Courtship of Princess Leia. It's one of the most famous Legends books. It's one of the most infamous Legends books. But it is the book where the pursuit of Warlord Zinj culminates. So if you're going to release the first three Wraith Squadron books, which I believe they will, you have to release The Courtship of Princess Leia. Not just for the story within that book, but for the culmination of the Warlord Zinj story. Well, that was a lot about the Wraiths. Time to wrap up. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Join me again on April 15th when we'll talk about the next installment of the Wraith Squadron story. It's Iron Fist, and it should be a good one. If you have a question or comment for the show, send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. I'd love to hear from you. And if you want to get your voice on the show, Record your own 3-5 to five minute audio file and email that to swlegendslounge at gmail.com. Give me your opinions about a book, a movie, a TV show, whatever. I'd love to hear from you. Just please record it in either MP3 
or MP4 format. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends. <laughs>